good morning to each and every one of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, it's good to see you. In our walk through the Psalms, we now come to Psalm number 17. So far we've managed to cover a psalm each time we've, we've come together. Um, I, I don't quite know, I was in the shower this morning and I thought to myself, what are we going to do when we get to Psalm 119? Well, you perhaps better bring a packed lunch on that, that Sunday, I thought. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens. It's a long way off then. Uh, till then, I shall no doubt be an old man. Older than I am now. So Psalm 17, the apple of his eye, the apple of God's eye. We come to this psalm and uh, once again we see that it's a psalm where David is asking God to listen to his cries for help. It's not the first time that uh, David has written a psalm asking God to hear his cries for help, to come to his aid against his enemies, those who were perhaps around about him, those who were out to get him. In those first nine verses there, David sets out his case. If you like, he pleads before God. He says, hear my righteous plea. Or in some versions it may well say, listen to my just cause. And to some, this might appear that David is perhaps being a little bit arrogant, perhaps being a bit big-headed. That he's assuming that he is in the right. But as you read through his case, that he's, that he's setting out before God, if it is indeed a true reflection of himself, then he does indeed have a righteous plea. But just in case he was, he was tempted to puff himself up into something that he wasn't, he gives God the opportunity to test and examine him. He's not afraid to, to let the Almighty God probe into the, the dark recesses of his heart. I wonder how many times do we, do we come to God with what we feel is perhaps a, a legitimate complaint but then at the end of the day we perhaps have to concede that we ourselves are perhaps not totally blameless. Perhaps not totally blameless of, of any wrongdoing. But not so with David. He's claiming pretty much total innocence, isn't he? He doesn't act the same as his attackers or as those who would seek to bring him down to his knees. God could search his heart at night with the light of his righteous glory but he would find nothing to condemn his righteous servant. I wonder, would we allow God to search our hearts? David's clear conscience came from following God's way, from walking in his paths and therefore keeping him from straying and walking down that, that slippery slope. 
that the wicked slip down. That slippery slope that leads to destruction. It's a huge challenge to be able to come to God and speak to him as David did. If I'm honest, I'm, I'm not sure I could. I don't know about you. You know, come to God and say, look God, I'm completely innocent. I'm completely righteous. I'm not there yet. I don't know about anybody else. But instead of feeling that we've perhaps missed the mark this morning, I hope that we might be encouraged to draw ever closer day by day to God. And that his spirit within us may be more in control of our lives. That we may become ever more Christ-like. That our lives would be more full of Christ than ourselves. There's that verse in Scripture in it where it talks about you know, God, Christ becoming more, you know, increasing that we may decrease. So there in verse 6, David calls on God. And there is no other way, is there? but to call on God. He prays because he knows God will answer him. I wonder, we asked ourselves this morning, when was the last time that you, or I for that matter, really called on God? I don't mean pray some kind of eloquent prayer like the Pharisee in the temple when he thanked God that he wasn't like the tax collector. No, what I mean is, really cry out to God. Really cry out to him in desperation. Because you know he is the only one who can do anything. I have to admit there are very few times that I've perhaps prayed in real heartfelt desperation to God. Feeling like I've perhaps come up against a brick wall. And God is the only one who can break it. But when those times have, have occurred, when those things have happened, when I've truly cried out to God, let me tell you that afterwards there is such a sense of peace and quiet assurance that God is in control. It's absolutely amazing. Let's not be afraid to pray with passion. Let's not be afraid to call out to God because he hears our prayers. Prayer brings our need and our needs right to the throne of God. It's easy to forget that uh, when we pray, we are praying to the maker of heaven and earth, to God Almighty. To think that he might be remotely interested in us is absolutely amazing but it's true though God knows our needs we still need to pray we need to keep if you like those, those lines of communication open between ourselves and God Jesus reminded his hearers that uh, God knew their needs but they still needed to pray there in uh, Matthew 6, 5 to 13. And when you pray, Jesus said, 
Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Your heavenly Father knows your needs but he still wants to talk. In some versions you might have here this morning verse 6 is rendered incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Thinking about it it's, it's not unlike a child coming to, to his or her parents and mum or dad bending over so that, that little one can speak right into their ear. It's not a case of I'll only listen to you when you can get yourself up to my height. No. It's a case of I'll come close to you because I love you. I want to hear your voice and listen to what's on your heart. Many of you will remember Diana, Princess of Wales. One of the things I think that many people adored about her was the fact that when it came to children or, or the poor, she would often bend down to be on their level. And that has an effect on people, doesn't it? It helps that person to know that you're listening, that you care. The same thing happened to us in, in Brazil with the street kids. When they're sitting on the ground, there's no point standing there in front of them talking to them. You've got to get down and sit on the, on the ground next to them. Only, only then that people begin to realise that you're trying to communicate with them in a, in a real heartfelt way. You're trying to understand where they are. It's what we were reminded of last week. Indeed, what we celebrate at this time of year. That Jesus, the divine word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Think of it, if you like, as God coming down to our level because he loves us and knew we could never reach him of ourselves. That is incredibly humbling to think that God Almighty would humble himself and come down to be with us.
don't know how many of you will remember but there was that uh, TV commercial several years ago unfortunately if you're an American here this morning you you won't have have seen this because you you weren't here there's very few good things on TV but this series of commercials I thought was pretty good must have been because it was years ago and I still remember it it was for a certain telephone company and their catchphrase was it's good to talk it's good to talk it's good to talk to your heavenly father just as it's good for a child to talk to his earthly father even though that father knows that child's needs I love that passage in Mark chapter 10 verse 51 where Jesus and his disciples were walking down the road from Jericho and passed blind Bartimaeus begging by the roadside and Bartimaeus he called out to Jesus to have mercy on him and what's Jesus say to him what do you want me to do for you was it not obvious that this blind beggar wanted to see to me it was but Jesus was not in the business of forcing himself on people he wanted to hear it from the lips of Bartimaeus himself Rabbi teacher he said I want to see what Bartimaeus was doing very similar way in which or, or what is what we do when, when we pray to God isn't it he was verbalising he was, he was putting into words his needs and more than that his faith in Jesus ability to heal he wanted to see and he knew Jesus was the only one who could help him it's good to talk to our heavenly father because he loves us he knows our needs David asks the Lord to show the wonder of his great love God's great and unfailing love that unfailing love used in the Old Testament to summarise all that Yahweh covenanted to show his people Israel it was a covenant were a promise of love and blessing that was stretched down through history for hundreds of generations to all those who obeyed to all those who obeyed remember that they had to obey his commands, his laws and his decrees it's a love that protects all who come in humility and repentance and then David utters these these very interesting words keep me as the apple of your eye hide me in the shadow of your wings now these are, are two illustrations of great protection that are themselves born out of God's unfailing love for those who trust in him 
the first there, the apple of the eye. Or as we might put it, the, the pupil of the eye. The little black dot in the centre of your eye that opens and closes depending on how bright the light is. Now just as we instinctively protect our eyes, so God protects those who call on him. If you go out on a, on a day when it's snowing, who knows, maybe you can try this out this next week. If you go out on a day when it's snowing, if a snowflake comes towards your eye, what will happen? Your eyelid will shut automatically a split second before the impact of the snowflake to protect your eyeball. Now please don't go home this afternoon and start experimenting with your eyes to see how quick your reactions are, right? I don't want you all coming next Sunday with patches over your eyes, you know, saying, I took you at your word and you were wrong. Okay, it's, well, I'm not wrong, it's just your reflection, your reflexes are a bit slower than I thought. So I'm taking no responsibility for that whatsoever. But you get my illustration. But the basic idea is there. We instinctively protect our eyes because, because they're precious to us. I mean, sight is one of the most precious things that we can have, isn't it? You know? It must be, must be terrible to, to not be able to see. And uh, our hearts go out to those who, are, who have lost their sight. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. David goes on to draw an illustration from the natural world. He says, hide me in the shadow in the shadow of your wings. Now both this illustration and the one before you can uh, find in Deuteronomy 32 verses 10 and 11 when Moses speaking of Israel said in a desert land he found me in a barren and howling waste he shielded him and cared for him he guarded him as the apple of his eye like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions or on its wings. Maybe those verses there of of Deuteronomy came to David's mind when he wrote this psalm. And he thought, what a great comparison, the eagle. What a great comparison that was to illustrate God's care of his people. Now I guess there are very few birds foolish enough to, to attack an, an eagle chick when the parent eagle is on the nest. And you've got to be pretty silly, haven't you? You see mother eagle sitting there on her nest and a chick beside her, you're not going to suddenly come and you know, start harassing them because you know you're going to get it. Eagles are powerful birds with, with sharp beaks and, and sharp talons. And when they spread their wings over their young, those young can rest securely. It's the same for the believer who calls out to God for God's divine protection. 
It's as if God covers us with his wings. Now to those of you who may feel that God sometimes allows things to happen to you. I'm sure many of us have been there. It feels like he perhaps doesn't put his wings over us to protect us. What's it say there in Deuteronomy? Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young. And it says, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions or its wings. Now that word, catch, I'm not a, an English student. I'm, I know how to speak English, but that's about as far as it goes. Now the word catch, to me, tells me that it's referring to something that's falling through the air. If the eagle just sat there and never stopped covering the chicks with its wings, how would those eaglets, I think that's the right word, eaglets, or young eagles anyway, how would they ever learn to fly? Now I'm sure it, it has been documented and I'm not making this up because I, I'm sure that I've, I've heard of it before but I don't know how often it happens. But when a young eagle takes to the air for the first time, the parent bird will occasionally swoop down under it and catch it on his back to prevent it from crashing to the ground. And to me, that's exactly what God allows to happen to us at times. He sees us perhaps beginning to fall, perhaps beginning to lose control. Perhaps our circumstances around us are beginning to get on top of us. He hears our cries for help and whoosh, he's there, protecting us, giving us strength, bearing us up, not on his wings, but in his arms. But without those types of experiences, our spiritual wings would never develop. Sometimes God calls us to, to leave the nest, as it were, to spread our wings, to go out into the world, to spread the gospel, but knowing that he is there to catch us when we start falling, that makes all the difference. So David gives us some wonderful illustrations of God's care, his love for us, and his protection of us. And then David comes to describe his enemies, those who are around about him, those who are encircling him. To be honest, you know, once you've, you've grasped the all-powerful, all-loving, ever-present character of God, David's enemies and and maybe our enemies too, seem to lose something of their ferocity. To David, these enemies were surrounding him. They were cold-hearted. They were completely full of themselves. He likens them, doesn't he, to a, to a hungry lion waiting in the, in the thicket, in the bushes, for its prey to wander past. 
Now his enemies may well have uh, wanted him dead but they were not attacking him at this point. God was still holding them back. David cries to God to arise to uh, frustrate the plans of the wicked to bring them down until they bowed low just as the conquered would bow low before the conqueror at the end of a battle he wants to be saved from the evil men of this world I guess not a lot has changed today the world still seems very full of evil men but those men their reward is in this life David recognised that the, the evil instigated by evil men in this world will eventually come to an end they may appear to be on the winning team for a while they may seem to be perhaps revelling in their own glory but it's of no eternal value their reward is in this life they have no hope of eternal life in heaven but they're seemingly unaware all the same that they will spend an eternity in hell and the same goes for people today if you don't know and love the Lord Jesus Christ as your own saviour then you'll spend an eternity in hell it's as simple as that it's different for David though he knows he's under the protection of an ever loving God who has a heart for the outcast and the poor he is a God who as we have seen listens to the prayers of his children the God so awesomely, amazingly, fabulously great yet so loving as to stoop down to hear the quiet cries of those who've lost hope he's a God who lifts the fallen and the hopeless he sets them on their feet again and revives their spirits and gives them hope eternal David could say at the end that one day he would see God's face all the momentary troubles that were surrounding him at that time when he wrote this psalm all those troubles would seem just that momentary here today gone tomorrow after passing through death he had the assurance that he would awake in glory and in the presence of God himself David was looking forward to seeing God's likeness I wonder are we looking forward this morning to one day seeing God's likeness he said he was going to be satisfied with just that seeing God's likeness he wasn't looking forward to 
to skydiving or hand gliding or any other pursuit that was seeking his own pleasure. He was going to be in God's presence one day and was no doubt going to praise him for his loving kindness. God is still the same today as he was back in David's time. He still cares for those who trust in him. He still protects. He still listens. And he's still with us. He still wants us to come to him. To pour out what's on our hearts. Because, as that, I said that commercial said, it's good to talk. God wants to talk. He wants to hear us talk to him. He wants to hear our righteous plea. He wants to hear the cries of our hearts this morning.